turn back to Matthew 3, if you would. Mm-hmm. Matthew chapter 3. By the way, I've got to say this. Uh, I've got my suspicion up about uh, Corky and Deb, and I'll tell you why. We played this game the other night, all right? And uh, it, we, we've all had a great time New Year's Eve. And um, so we had two teams here, and a person would come up, and they'd write something on a card and stick it on your forehead. And you could th- this guy couldn't see it. And so the, the person up here would ask questions, yes or no questions. Is it a living object? Uh, is, it a, is it a living uh, thing? Is it whatever? All these questions. And the, your team, could, they could see what it was. And you had like two minutes to guess what it was. And was it two minutes or three minutes? Two minutes, all right? And uh, I actually, I got mine. But it took every last second of the two minutes for me to, to guess what it was. And uh, so I think right after me, Brother Corky came up, and they put it up on his forehead. And uh, he literally, uh, you know, go. Uh, is, it, is it living? No. Is it something else? No. Is it Sunday school? Yes. It, the third clue, Brother Corky. I'm sure, I, I know Deb was just sitting back there doing sign language or something because that was just amazing. So, so I'm, I'm, I got my eye on them a little bit. I thought they were trustworthy, but I'm a little bit, a little bit suspicious. Anyway, but that was a lot of fun on, on, uh, on Thursday night. Matthew chapter number three. Let's pray. Father, speak to us. Help us. Bless, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. John is on the stage in Israel. He's doing this thing that is brand new. And he, he said in, in the Gospel of John that God had sent him to baptize. So baptism was God's idea, according to John himself. And people were coming out of the towns and cities to, to hear this crazy man preach out in the wilderness. And if they were buying into his message, the way they would indicate it would be to go down into the water and to be dunked in the water, to be baptized. They didn't go down into the water to have him take a handful of water and dump it on their head. Now read all of the by the way, baptizo means immersed. And uh, read all of the accounts in the in the water uh, in the water in the Bible, and uh, you will see when people were being baptized, it was in places where there was a lot of water. Uh, if you're just going to get it sprinkled on your head, you don't need a lot of water there. So they're going and and uh, they're 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 coming out from all over Israel, and John the Baptist is the star. But the whole time that he's doing this, he's preaching, and he's saying there's somebody else coming, and he's the main character. I'm not, even to, I'm not even worthy to buckle his shoes. He's coming. And then one day, as John is baptizing, Jesus shows up. And Jesus comes and he wants to be baptized. And John says, I'm, I'm not worthy. He, in fact, his answer, I have need to be baptized of thee and comest thou to me. And Jesus said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. We're not going to talk about baptism tonight. 
We're going to talk about Jesus' statement. Suffer it to be now, so, so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. There's some truth in there that I want us to mine tonight. I want us to, to reach in and get it and let it sink down into our hearts. I want you to see what Jesus is saying. But first, I want you to notice John's objection. John's objection was twofold. First of all, John was saying, I'm not qualified to baptize you. But he was also saying this, I don't see why you need to be baptized. Now, folks, and I love John the Baptist, and I'm not going to be critical of him. I am saying this, however, that that's where a lot of Christians are stuck in 2000 and, let's go ahead and say it, 2016. It's only three days old, but it's already happening But that's where a lot of believers are stuck in America these days. I don't see why, whatever it is. I don't see why you have to do this. I don't see why you can't do this. And I don't think John was saying it with attitude, but he was saying it. You're saying you need to be baptized but I don't see why you need to be baptized. And notice Jesus' answer. Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. So, when looking at things that maybe some Christians can't see why this is necessary, man, You can look at our church program, the things we do, the things we don't do, how we do it, and compare it to to the average church. And I'm not here tonight to be critical of anybody. I'm I'm here just to let on a little bit of why we do some of the things that we do and why we're going to continue to do the things that we do. And I predict that the, the longer time goes on and the more this world decays, the greater the gap is going to be between what our church does and what all the other churches do. Not because we're trying to distance ourselves from them, because, hey, we're not the ones that are changing. The longer time goes on, the wider the gap will become. And the more you'll hear people say, well, I don't understand why we have to do this. Why, why do we have Sunday night church? I don't understand why we, why we, why we don't ever drink. I don't understand why. And the, the list is long. And let me, let me just say, you know, I like, to use, I like to use mimicking voices because I can. That's why I like to do it. But if you've ever asked that question, I'm not making fun of you. But I certainly have heard people ask that question in those kinds of tones of voices. John said to Jesus, I don't see why you need to be baptized. Now, again, that wasn't his whole objection. Objection. Part of his objection was, I'm not the one to do it. But part of his objection was, why, why do you need to be baptized? And that question is echoed in different words by Christian after Christian. Before I give you Jesus' answer, let me say this. 
of all the things that you can listen. I don't understand why we do that. I don't see why. What's funny about that is you, as, as well, I'm not say you, a carnal Christian may not understand why Christians do this and that. But you know what? The lost world gets it. They understand why we do what we do. They understand. I don't forget a man said to me, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. He said, Pastor, I want to thank you so much that you didn't come down my street trying to act like me. He said, when I saw you for the first time, I knew that you were a preacher. I knew that you were a Christian. You weren't trying to be like me. And he said, because, because of that, I respected you and I listened to you. I don't, I don't forget those kinds of things because it, it, it reminds me, no matter what chatter I'm hearing from Christians, you know, talking about, oh, you know, hey, it's not 1950 anymore. I know it's not. And so I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not singing 1950 songs and I don't, hey, I may not be totally GQ, but I'm not living 1950 either. I know it's not 1950, but listen, there's certain things that we just, there's no reason to change. And so when I hear a man say, okay, when I hear the chatter of other Christians saying, how come we have to do that? How come to have, how come have? And then I hear one lost person who got saved as an adult say, I'll tell you what made all the difference was when I saw you, I knew there was something different about you. Then I'm going to turn off the carnal Christian who can't find his own holiness anyway. And I'm going to listen to this guy who just told me what got his attention that led to him getting saved. But let's move on to Jesus' answer. I'm going to show you five parts about Jesus' answer. And please don't miss this. When Jesus said, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. What was Jesus saying? First of all, he was saying, somebody, John, somebody needs to show everybody what complete obedience looks like. That's what he said. Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. He was saying, John, there has got to be a pattern that shows everybody what total Christianity looks like. Somebody's got to show everybody. I don't try to look at, is that you, Bible college student? What good grief, man. What are they teaching that place? I don't go around assessing everybody else's variety of Christianity. There's a lot of variety. You understand, when I, when I was a kid, there weren't all these varieties of Christianity. Everybody knew what Christianity looked like, pretty much. You know what you do? Sometime on Saturday night, and I don't watch TBN hardly ever, but the only time I might watch it is Saturday night and watch some of those old Billy Graham crusades. And look at the people in the crowds in the 1970s. The people out there in the audience, they knew what Christianity looked like. Those, the people coming to a stadium and walking down the aisle to get saved look more like Christians than a lot of Christians going to church. 
So we didn't have all these varieties of Christianity all those years ago. Well, now you've got all kinds of different, you know. And there again, you know, you get that, why do you got to call yourself Baptist? Why, you get, why can't you just, why can't we all just get together? And I remind you, I ain't the one that changed. Yeah, there was a day in the early 1900s where Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, they could work together on stuff, and they all, you know, Lutherans, but, and, and they all pretty much preached the same gospel, and almost the only thing that separated a lot of those groups was the mode of baptism, for which I make no apology, by the way. It's very clearly what the Bible teaches. But, but there was a lot more fellowship possible among professing Christians than there are now, where, first of all, if you ever got into a crowd and tried to read out loud from the Bible, it would sound like the Tower of Babel. On top of that, we wouldn't be able to agree on uh, whether or not you could lose your salvation. We wouldn't be able to agree on, on even how you get saved. There'd be a whole th- I just it, There's no way. Just because somebody calls himself Christian church or Bible church these days, it doesn't mean anything as far as what their doctrine is. So I don't go around assessing, though. I really don't go around and say, well, I think they're right, I think they're wrong. No, my job is to assess what I have, and I want to make sure I'm as right as can be. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be as right as you can be. Now, do I think that, I'm, that I am more right than everybody else? No, because I don't assess that. I do think that what I believe and what I strive to practice, whether or not I fail at practice, what I strive to practice is as right as can be. And if I didn't, I would change what I thought was wrong. And please explain to me how that's wrong. So, no, I'm not in the business of assessing every version of Christianity and say, uh, oh, they're an eight, mm, they're a seven, they're a... No, but I do believe this. As, we, as I just stated, somebody needs to show everybody what complete Christianity looks like. And that's what Jesus is telling John when he said, Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. We've got to strive for a Christianity that shows everybody what Christianity looks like. Somebody sat in, in uh, my office, a, a couple with young children sat in my office not very long ago. And uh, the lady in tears said, I'm so thankful that Zach and Catherine have done things the way they have. Because I can look at my children and say, that's the way you're supposed to do it. Now, who's going to fill that role? Well, not me. I want to party. Okay, if you want to party, that's your business. But listen, are we in the business of doing what we want to do, what God says to do? And Jesus said to John, Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. If God is looking for people to show people what Christianity looks like, I want to volunteer. I want to say, Lord, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to fail you. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to goof up. 
but I will strive to live by what I believe is the scriptural standards. So, Jesus is saying, somebody needs to show everybody what complete obedience looks like. Let me stop and just throw in a little disclaimer here. You may disagree with me on, on this standard or this idea or this concept, but don't miss the Bible principle here, okay? God is looking. Somebody needs to show everybody what complete obedience looks like. Something else that Jesus is saying here, notice the phrase, all righteousness. Fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus was not promoting a a good enough Christianity. I don't see any reason to get baptized. After all, I mean, you know, I, I don't have any sins to, you know, have forgiven. And it's like, you know, why should I need to get baptized? No, Jesus was not pushing that kind of Christianity. Jesus was push, pushing a fulfill all righteousness Christianity. So, second thing I believe Jesus is saying to, to John here, the world needs to see a pattern that doesn't cut any corners. No, I don't go around assessing other groups' Christianity, but I do have to look at some Christianity's presented and say, where's your holiness? You, okay. You're going to have your, you know, rock the thing, rock the, yeah, yeah. I get the posters. I get the advertisements. I, I get the emails. I see the pictures. And I look at the pictures. Folks, I'm not questioning your salvation, but where's the holiness? When I can take your CD cover and put it next to a, a, a rock band CD cover, so, and I can't tell the difference, where's the holiness? When I can listen to your group, and I can't understand the words, and there's no message whatsoever, and there's nothing by looking at you that tells me that you're living to the glory of God. Where's the holiness? So you, you, can, you can justify what you're doing until you're blue in the face, but you can't convince me that you haven't cut some corners. I want a Christianity that doesn't cut the corners. And listen, Whatever else you can say, oh, pastor, how come we can't be more like Joel Osteen? How come we can't be more like Andy Stanley? How come, listen, somebody has got to put a Christianity out there. I don't care whether it's the biggest church or not. Somebody in every community has got to show that community a Christianity that doesn't cut corners. And so I volunteer. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I'm not saying this happens all the time, but it happens often enough that there, you can say there's a pattern. To talk to an unsaved person who will make this statement, well, thank God there's still somebody doing it the old-fashioned way. Now, I'm not trying to be old-fashioned. That's not the point. What I am trying to do is to make sure the lost world knows that if they ever decide to come to God, there's still somebody preaching the word like their grandparents' pastor was preaching the word. There's still somebody singing the songs that, you know, they go to church today. And, and I mean, it's, it's a rock concert. 
I mean, there's a band down there, and they're, and they're, and they're just showing what, what... I'm not trying to bash them. I'm just trying to figure it out. And you will not persuade me that people are not coming to Christ until they see that, and then all of a sudden they say, oh, now that we, you know how to jam, so now we're going to come to Jesus Christ. You will not convince me. Listen, the thing that's keeping the world away from Christ is the church's lack of anointing. The church's lack of Holy Ghost power. And if we would strive for that and forget about, well, I don't know, maybe if we went with a dark atmosphere, maybe that would bring them in. Maybe if we went, stop trying to figure out what's going to bring them in and get the power of God on you. Jesus, I believe, is saying, John, the world needs to see a pattern that doesn't cut any corners. Uh, Whatever happened to godliness? That's a Bible word. Whatever happened to purity? James 1, pure religion and undefiled. Whatever happened to Christ-likeness? The world needs to see a pattern. Jesus said, thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Something else Jesus is saying, our calling is to get it exactly right. Where does it say that? Look at the phrase there. It becometh us. That means, as John, let me tell you what is equal to my calling and your calling. It becometh us. It is consistent with our calling to get it exactly right. And so I need to be baptized because that is, is, is what is exactly right. That is the first step of a disciple who has put his faith in Jesus Christ, a believer who wants to step forward in discipleship. The first step is what I'm about to do. And so my calling and John, your calling is to get it exactly right. Now, folks, that differs from this mentality that's constantly asking why do we got to do this? And I'm not, you're not the ones asking that. I'm not claiming that you are. But Christianity, quote unquote, is asking that. I don't know why we had to go to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night. I don't know why we, why we got to run them buses. That's, you know, that's from the 70s. Why we got to, why, why we got to, I'm so sick of Christians whining. And let me tell you, just something that would be better. Let's strive to get it exactly right. Now, sure, there's some things that we do that are not the the only way to do it. Running a bus is not the only way to reach the lost. but, But let me ask you, is there a better way to reach inner city people? Is there a better way... To, to reach children whose, whose parents aren't real excited about coming to church themselves? If you find a better way, teach it to me. But I will tell you, this is working. It's, it's not the only way, but it's an awfully good one. And you can talk all kinds of things that we do. People say, where did the Bible say Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Well, you know my answer, but let me go ahead and give it again. What the Bible said was every day they met. Now, if you want to make a motion to do that, I'll second it, and I'll be there every day. Well, how many of you will? 
So you should thank me that it's only Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Our calling is to get it exactly right. Sunday school teacher, you're, you're, you're not just there to, to teach a, a lesson for 30 minutes. You're there to live a life that gets it exactly right. Do you remember your I remember as, as, as a kid, just, just it happened like two or three times, but I remember you know being at the store with my mother and you see the teacher there. And you go, what are you doing here? <laughs> Who's watching the classroom when you're here at the store? You're a kid and you just, because you think that, you know, I guess you assume, okay, they have to go home. They have to take baths and eat and things. But I, they're on call at the school. That's where you're supposed to be. The doctor's supposed to be in his office in case I get sick. What are you doing out? And there, there's a similar concept in the mind. Hey, in the mind of the people that you teach, teacher, especially the children that you teach, if you teach children, you're the God person. You're the church person. They don't know anything about your new definition of grace and liberty and all that. Well, I can do whatever I want to do. And so if they see you in the music section of the store checking out some hip-hop CD, that doesn't compute with them. That doesn't add up. If they pass you, you know, in Walmart, and you don't see them there, and they hear you, blankety-blank, that doesn't add up to them. That doesn't compute. Your calling, and my calling, is to get it exactly right. Jesus said, thus it becometh us. Number four, Jesus is telling them. Notice he says, thus, I like this word, thus it becometh us. The thus there is referring to Jesus being baptized. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying my baptism will be a tool to teach the total Christian life to all believers of all time. Did you catch that? John, I know you don't understand why I need to baptize, but be baptized. But I'm telling you, my baptism will be a tool that will teach all believers of all times. Let's talk about dress standards for a second. Let me ask the question that you've wanted to ask me, okay? Pastor, do you think it's a sin? You know what I'm going to say. Do you think it's a sin for a lady to wear pants? No, I don't think it's a sin. I don't believe it's sinful for a Christian lady to wear pants. But lady, don't miss this. And sir, don't miss this about whether you're talking, we're talking about short hair or whatever, whatever you want to bring up, don't miss this. A conservative appearance and looking like a man and looking like a lady is a tool. It's a tool. And make sure you employ that tool properly. I, well, I'm pa- Pastor, I'm, I'm sort of shocked that, that you said it's, 
You don't think it's, it's inherently sinful. No, I don't. Now, why did I throw that word inherently in there? Because it would be sinful for my wife. Because there came a time when she was a teenager when she knew that God was asking her to never wear another pair of pants. So for her to go back on that, yes, it would be sinful. And I believe God asks people to do various things because they're, they're, they're going to influence more people and your appearance is a tool. Don't ever forget that. Your appearance is a tool. There was a book written on this, I don't know, 60 years ago called Your, your Clothes Say It For You. And that's the truth. You want proof of that? Did you ever go into a, you know, a, a restaurant, of like a, a theme, whether it's Spanish or French or something, and they put a name on the door? in their language, and you're going, I'm not sure which one to go in because I don't know the language, you know. I, mm. But when they put a picture of pants and a picture of a dress, you know which one to go in. We know. Everybody, nobody goes, I wonder. Well, now, maybe in another 10 years, nobody will know, but right now, we still know. <laughs> Your clothes say it for you. When you're in public and you're scared and you're on the street, you look for somebody with a police uniform on. Why? Because your clothes say it for you. I'm saying as you're trying to figure it all out, don't ever forget that your clothes, your appearance is a tool. Do I think it's sinful for men? Now, this isn't an issue I don't, I don't think it's trendy so much, but, it, you know, it was trendy for a while. And there was a, there was a time in, in, I'd say, I guess in the 80s, I don't really pay attention, but in the 80s where all of a sudden it became a trend, and that is for men to wear earrings. And it's, it, it's not so stylish now, is it? it? It was for a while. I mean, you know, everybody had one. Uh, my, my, the hole has just grown back in recently for me. But... Um, but Think it's sinful? No, I don't think it's sinful. <laughs> Did I ever even consider? I never wanted to do it. Because when I was a kid, if you went to school with an earring in your ear, you get the snot beat out of you. So I never had any desire to do it. But, but here's, here's what, you know, Christians run around and go, I don't see why it's sinful. I don't see why it's sinful. Here's what they missed. You're abandoning a tool. You know, hairstyles change. There, there was a, you know, you, you look back to the pictures of the 70s. Man, I had some awesome curly hair when I was, when I was you know, 8 to 10 years old. And uh, everybody, those 70s pictures, man, we had, we had some styles. And then it went from there to being real, real short. And now, you know, I mean, I, styles are still a factor, but now pretty much everything is in style somewhere, you know. But... So we had these big debates over long hair and how long is it, this and that. And what we're missing is that a conservative haircut tells people something. So, now, now, let me say this. If you're going to represent the church, depending upon what level you're representing the church at, we're going to ask certain things of your appearance. We're we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to have a militant thing here at all, ever. But if you're going to sing in a choir, ladies, you're going to wear a dress and a skirt. We never have a problem with that. That's fine. And uh, various things. And, and, 
if you're going to go out soul winning, you know, don't, don't go out uh, on, on visitation um, looking like you just came off the baseball field or something. And, uh, you know, don't go out visiting in shorts and a tank top or whatever. Uh, we're going to ask certain things of you if you're going to represent the church. But I'm not, we're, we're not going to, you know, and not only am I not going to be in your face, but we're, I don't sit in judgment. I don't assess the way you, if I meet you in public and you go, oh, I'm so embarrassed about how I'm dressed, don't give it another thought because I'm not going to think about it. I really am not. I don't pay attention to, to I say I pay attention. We all pay attention to people's appearance, but I don't, I don't sit in judgment. I do not. If you're going to represent the church, though, there are certain things that a conservative haircut and and representing Jesus Christ, there are certain things that that your appearance says. So Jesus is saying to John, thus it becometh us. My baptism will be a tool to teach the total Christian life to all believers of all time. Now let's wrap it up with this last statement. Suffer it to be so now. What's Jesus saying to John? If you trust me, then tolerate what you don't understand. Can I paraphrase it? For, for Jesus says, if you will tolerate what you don't fully understand, John, we will make an impression for all eternity. I'm so glad that John went ahead and baptized Jesus. You know why? Because when somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I really don't understand. You know, there is no command in the Bible to be baptized. There's a command to us to baptize our converts, but there's, you won't find a command that says, Now, thus saith the Lord, get baptized after you get saved. It's up to us to lead people to that. And one of the greatest tools we have when somebody says, Why do I need to get baptized? If I can't, if I can't remember anything else, I say, because Jesus was. Oh. Well, if Jesus wasn't too good to be baptized, maybe I should. I'm so glad that John went ahead and baptized him, even when he didn't understand why Jesus needed to be baptized. Jesus saw the big picture and realized we're, we're, we're presenting a package here, and we've, we've got to fill in. We've, we've got to cover everything because we are the ultimate patterns, John. And so we've got to paint a picture that doesn't miss anything. And if you don't understand that, then suffer it now to be so. In other words, just please go ahead and tolerate it. There may come a time. I hope that maybe this time never comes. I've heard other pastors talk about this where they've told people in their church, they've said, they've asked them to do a job. Would you do this job? Would you fill this position? And... Well, what's required of me? And something's required of you, and, and the person comes to the pastor and says, I don't understand. That doesn't make sense to me why that matters. And the pastor has to say, okay, that's fine, and I'm not asking you to change your opinion. But would you just agree if you're going to fill this position when you come to church to make sure that, that you act this way, dress this way, talk this way, just so we represent Christ properly? Just, you know, you, you get a job at a, at, a, at a new place. You know, you go to work for, uh, for Wendy's. And you're excited to get your job at Wendy's. It's great, man. It's awesome. How many be excited to have a job at Wendy's? Frosties all the time. And they say, okay, and here's your uniform. What? Well, what? I got to wear a uniform? I am not working here unless I can wear my jeans and a T-shirt. Then you know what they're going to say? 
then you're not working here. Because if you're going to represent Wendy's, you're going to wear a uniform. If you're going to represent Christ, we don't even have uniforms. Aren't you glad for that? But we do ask you, could you, could you represent Christ in a certain way? Could you do that? Now, if you want greater influence for Christ, God may call upon you to say, okay, I don't go out in public in, in shorts. Do I think shorts are wrong? No. And especially now, you know, when I was a teenager, the shorts, they were, they were indecent. You know, you look at some of those old uh, NBA games from the, from the 80s, you're like, man, how do they go out in public like that? You know, these shorts now, they come down past your knee practically, but still, I don't do that. Now, I don't do it now because i got a stump at the end of my left leg. But, uh, but even before that, I didn't, I didn't do it. Why? Because everywhere I go, I represent Christ. Now, wait a second. You say, well, I do too. Yeah, but you understand my... I'm a little bit more likely to run into somebody and say, hey, you're the church guy. Hey, somebody knocked on my door and gave me a... I saw your picture. I don't forget, somebody knocked on a door a couple of years ago, and they came back. It was a soul-winning bus. They came back to the bus, and they said, uh, Pastor, I knocked on somebody's door, uh, and uh, they said they recognized your picture, that you come into their place of business all the time. I was like, oh, great, you know, we're, we're, we're place of business. Oh, yeah, she works at the uh, drive through window at McDonald's. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I plead guilty. That was me. But God may ask you. I'll use this illustration and I'll quit. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, you know, Charles Spurgeon owned London. Just his influence was, was unbelievable in London in the 1800s. Charles Spurgeon smoked cigars. And openly, he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't even think anything was wrong with it. And one day he was walking down the street and he saw a sign that said, smoke, and it named the brand of cigars. These are the cigars that Spurgeon smokes. And he says, you know, I've been defending this long enough. That's not the way I want to represent Christ. We can debate all day about whether that's right or wrong. I got, you know, I smell cigar smoke, and I go, I could, I could get into that. I, you know, <laughs> that smells pretty good to me. But, but I've never, I've never tried it. But um, that was supposed to be a little funny, but I didn't hear a lot of laughter. <laughs> but we could debate all day about whether that's right or wrong. But Charles Spurgeon said, right or wrong is not the question. Is how am I representing Christ? Oh. Let's not get caught up in debates about this particular thing or that particular thing as much as we are captivated by, am I fulfilling all righteousness? God needs somebody to show everybody what Christianity looks like. And am I willing to live that life? Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight to consider these things and to be willing to live them. I pray, Lord, please, that you'd help us to to volunteer. Lord, what I do or don't do does not make me better than anybody else. It doesn't make me a better Christian than anybody else. And I'm not, I don't want to be in the business of assessing whether I'm a better Christian than somebody else. Because I truly think that the person that is in that assessing business is not the good Christian. At the same time, that does not negate my responsibility and my opportunity to get it as right as I possibly can.
to represent Christ, to, to carry out holiness and godliness and Christ-likeness the best I possibly can. Not with a pharisaical attitude, not with a better-than-thou attitude, but with a humble, I'm doing my best kind of an attitude. Help us, Lord, please, to be of that spirit and to strive to be the very best we can for thy glory. Let's stand together tonight. The piano will play. I have no idea how the Spirit of God spoke to you. And I pray that you won't leave here tonight saying, ah, okay, I'm, I'm cranky about this because pastor said something's wrong that I believe was right. Pastor seems to be against something that I think is okay. Or maybe even pastor said no, something was not a big deal, and I think it is a big deal. Would, would you get past that, and would you instead say, Boy, I want to represent Christ the very best way I can. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to portray righteousness as clearly as I possibly can. I don't want to put any confusion in the minds and the hearts of unbelievers.